How are you guys doing this morning? So my name's George. I'm one of the, really well, great. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Community. Uh, and on behalf of the team, I want to wish you the first official Merry Christmas because last week was November and it doesn't count in December until December. Yeah, okay. I'm feeling you guys now. Good, that works. Um, this is our second installment of the Christmas series. Um, Chuck did a fantastic job last week. Uh, yeah. I agree. There's all kinds of stuff still rolling around in my head since then. And uh, uh, I want to, before I start on, on the message on Mary, I want to tell you another story about another, another woman. Um, she was a single mom, and she was just getting by, <clears throat> but she was being really creative about how to get, thing, uh, get ends to meet. Um, she did the work the night shift at the hospital, and then she'd come home, and on the way home from work, she'd stop at a diner. Uh, and in the diner, um, she'd pick up the kind of toss-outs, the kind of day-old food that was still good enough to eat but not good enough to, se- to serve at a restaurant. And she would, um, she would take those home and heat those up. She was noticing that the, the bag she was getting was smaller and smaller over time, but she would heat those up and the kids would eat them. And she'd send them off to school. And then she'd sleep during the day unless she got sort of like a, a cleaning job where she could work that during the day to pick up some extra money. And then she'd work off of two to four hours worth of sleep. And, you know, it was, it was hard. It wasn't easy. But she was working hard to make things work. And um, one day she went to the diner, <coughs> excuse me, and she saw a kind of disheveled guy that was there. And um, she, uh, he started to really kind of talk her up, kind of wanted to get involved in a conversation with her. And she was a little cautious, but she knew that most of those people were safe, but they were just a little um, lonely. So she started talking with him a little bit. And then kind of engaged him a little bit more, kind of asked him questions about, you know, where he was from and if he had family and things like that. And as she asked him these personal questions, his face just kind of bloomed and just lit up and just smile and everything. She couldn't stay very long, so she had to kind of pack up and get back to take care of the kids in the morning. She came in the next day, and there he was. He starts talking her up again. She's chatting. Only this time his reaction was a little bit different. You could just see little, little tears kind of form in the corners of his eyes as they talked. And she wasn't sure. She didn't want to kind of set something off, so she just kept talking. But she was very personal with him. And the conversation went well. She again had to head off to the kids. Day three, she shows up at the, at the diner, and he's not there. And um, so she kind of wonders, wonder if he's going to come back or something like that. Well, she didn't ever see him again. But about a month after that, <clears throat> she comes in the diner, and it's very early uh, when she would, she would arrive. There weren't usually people there. But in the exact seat where she and that man had sat, there were two men sitting, and they were in ties and suits, and they were very nicely dressed. And she kind of looks up at the, the main waitress, who was also the wife of the cook, who was also the owner. And uh, she kind of looked, looked at her to kind of like, what's going on here? But the waitress wouldn't catch her eye. She was looking at the other men. She was looking at the men in the, in the, in the booth. And, uh, and she just nodded to them. So this was really beginning to get kind of fully creepy at this point. So she is getting ready to find a seat, but the two men stand up pretty quickly, and they mention her name and said, she's like, yes. She goes, would you sit with us would you, just for a moment or two? And she's like, yeah. She kind of looks over the waitress like, is this okay? And she's like, it's okay, it's okay. So she sits down with them, and they begin to lay out this story. There are a couple of attorneys, and, um, and they had a, uh, a client who about a month ago had come in to rewrite his will. Uh, this gentleman um, had not fallen upon hard times. As a matter of fact, he was quite wealthy. 
But he had lost all his family, he had lost most of his friends, and he really didn't have anybody to kind of continue to live for. He's really kind of a sad guy. And the story was, as they told it, that he had come into this diner, and he was just, just looking for conversation. He starts talking to this woman. The woman gives him his name, tells, her, tells him his story, and he said, it was one of the best days I had had in such a long time. But he also knew that he was very sick. He came in the next day, he was talking to her, and he knew that that was probably the last time he would get to talk to her. And just, he asked her more questions about her, and he told him more about himself. And he said, we want to let you know that when he came in, he rewrote his will, and he wrote you as the beneficiary of his will. And she's, she's still kind of like, well, I don't understand what that, what does that mean? What, what happens to this? What is, and so they said, well, let's just show you the, the last sheet of the will, and this is what his estate is worth. And I'll just leave it to say it was substantial. It was absolutely going to change her life. She could take care of her kids. She could take care of any debt that they had. They could now buy a house. Everything was just completely taken care of. She still wasn't sure that this was real, but you know, it was on legal letterhead and everything. So she left, set up an appointment. About a month after that, after the estate was settled, <clears throat> she comes into the diner. And um, she, again, there was usually not a lot of people there, and she, she called over the waitress and said, get your husband, I want to talk to you. And um, she said, um, listen, I don't know whether you know, but that, that guy who passed away, who, you know, who I was talking to, he had an estate. And he gave the estate to me, and I want to come in, and all of those food that you gave me that you didn't use, I want to pay you for it. And so they're both looking at her. He said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't, you don't have to do that. We wanted to do that. We wanted to give that to you. And, and, and to be honest with you, we're going to end up, it's not too long before we close the diner because we just haven't been able to make ends meet. It's been okay as a business, but then there'd be like a, a bump in the economy or a hunk of bad weather, and we'd get a little bit behind, and then we got a little bit more behind, and then, and then we just really kind of got to the point where we just have to close it. And, and because we haven't been able to keep things up, it's really not of any value. We were hoping to kind of work this and grow it and use this as our retirement where we really need to get out of the business and, and go find something else to kind of get some money to save for our retirement. And she says, well, I understand, but I want to pay you for everything that you gave me. And she slid a check across the table and they looked at it. And I won't tell you what it was worth, but it was substantial. And they looked at this and they said, this is enough to fix this place up, to get it running again, and then to be able to sell it for what we thought and what we hoped we would get for it. And it absolutely changed their life, that piece of news. Well, we're going to look at another young lady who got some news, and it not only was going to change her situation and change the situation of people around her, it was literally going to change history. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord, we come to you with empty hands. Fill us with your spirit. Let us see afresh, or even for the first time, the glorious picture that you have, the glorious picture of you and your love for us. We need you to do this for us. We need to rely and depend on you. And we do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start our conversation off today with a question. 
And that question is, why Mary? Which is conveniently the title of our message today. Mary is the mother of Jesus, is the central topic of Christmas. She's a coveted role in all the Christmas plays. And how could you have a manger scene without Mary? So, have you ever stopped to ask the question, why Mary? Why did God choose Mary? She's a pretty big name for us. Not to know why God chose her, this simple peasant girl. So let's look at some options. Okay, option number one comes from Genesis 3.15, and if you haven't been a regular with us, we here at Grace have been studying Genesis. We covered this a little while back. Uh, Genesis 3.15, and the serpent said to God, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. You shall, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So option one is God chose Mary because she was a woman, just that simple, and the serpent crusher had to come from a woman, as we see in Genesis 3.15, and, and uh, so that's really, really broad criteria. So, so let's see what the calculations look like. Numerous sources estimate that the population of the world at 1 AD was approximately 200, people, 200 million people. So if 51, 50.8% of the population were women, and we're still around the 102 million mark. So if we continue to kind of do some calculations upon age and demographics, I think it's safe to say that we can't come down to that point where we say, this is Mary, this is why God chose, chose that one person. So let's move on to option two. The mathematical approach didn't work. So it was maybe option two is because Mary was a virgin. Okay, maybe that's a little bit of a smaller population, but we could do some similar mathematical gymnastics to come up with a probability here too. But I, I think, and I propose to you, that if we did that, we'd be looking at effect and cause and not cause and effect. God didn't tell the prophet Isaiah that the Savior was going to be born 700 years later, um, and then he started to go out and recruit virgins. Okay, God had a plan picked out. God had a place picked out. And God had a woman picked out. 700 years before she was born. God is just revealing to us all that had happened so that we would see that sign when it happened. God was revealing to us all that would happen so that we would see that God was at work. So please, uh, um, so we're stuck with the question, why Mary? And to answer that, we're going to need to dig into our text. So you can turn to your Bibles or your Bible app to Luke chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, we're going to put everything on the screen so you can follow along with the references. It's a lot easier. So Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answered to her, Holy, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born of you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So our mystery is framed with the question, why Mary? And in the passage of Luke 1, we get several clues. In the passage, we're introduced to Mary, and we find that God has a message for this young Galilean girl, and the message is coming at the hands of an angel. So the first point we're going to take from Luke 1 is that this message requires a notable messenger, a very special messenger. So the first thing that happens in our passage is that we meet Gabriel, an angel, a messenger from God. Gabriel had a, message, a, a mission, and he was to send this message. He was to bring a message to Mary. This was not Gabriel's first rodeo. You may remember him from our series in the book of Daniel. In Daniel 8, God said to Gabriel, Gabriel, make this man, Daniel, understand the vision. Then Gabriel lays out God's plan for the future of the world. So what does this tell us about Gabriel? So if Gabriel worked in broadcasting, he would not be a part-time newsreader at a small radio station. Gabriel's kind of the Walter Cronkite of the Bible. So he's a major news anchor. He only brings really big news. In this case, he was dispatched in broadcasting. We call that going on location. He was dispatched by God to bring this message from God when Gabriel shows up, we know this is really important. The second thing we can draw from this passage is that the message is an encouraging news about God. What was Gabriel's message to Mary? Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Another translation says, or blessed are you among women. Why is she blessed? Because the Lord is with her. This is big news to Mary, but it's not big news to us. We've known for millennia that she was favored and blessed, but this is the first time that Mary's heard this, and she has a lot of questions. It still leaves us with the question, still leaves us with the question, why Mary? Mary doesn't understand. She's confused in the visitation, and the passage says she was greatly troubled at the saying and trying to discern what kind of greeting this might be. She had an unscheduled meeting with an angel. I don't usually schedule mine. She came to tell, you can tell from the reaction enough in Scripture that she understands that a visit from a heavenly being can go really well or really poorly. Gabriel's a great communicator, and he helps her out. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, always a good sign. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So finally, we have our smoking gun, which is probably a bad analogy since guns weren't invented in China for another thousand years, but we have our clue that breaks the case wide open. The answer to our question, why Mary, is simple. It's because Mary had found favor with God. Where do we search to find favor with God? Where do we uncover the blessings of God? We find, uh, um, it means, the Greek word, I'm sorry, the Greek word, here translated found, is the word huries. And it means to find or discover or to realize. 
So in Revelations 2.2 is the only other place in the New Testament we find this word huries. Revelations 2.2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So this version found, you have discovered, means you've discovered, you've realized. It doesn't mean that you've earned anything. Gabriel is saying, Mary, you need to know something. You need to discover, you need to find this out. You need to realize that God has bestowed his, his favor upon you. Mary's not argumentative. She doesn't even ask any questions, but she wants to find out what does that mean? Why Mary? She's young, poor, unmarried, not a high potential demographic. They don't make magazines or clothing lines or cosmetic baskets for you. Why Mary? It's simple. Gabriel sums it up two different ways. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Or do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The root of the word favor is the same word that we use for grace. It's the same word that we currently use for charity. Why, Mary? It's simple. And Gabriel couldn't say it any other way. It was all grace, unmerited, unearned, not of herself as if she could impress God. Why, Mary? Because God said so. End of discussion. Well, that's disappointing. It, nothing mystical, nothing more intriguing, nothing more physically, emotionally, or spiritually challenging. No. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. It's just that simply wonderful. Which brings us to point three. Mary's simple message of good news is good news for us. It's simple, but it's simply wonderful. You see, Mary is just like every single one of us this morning. Nothing magical, nothing mystical, nothing impressive. If you walked past Mary in the mall, you might not give her a first look, let alone a second look. But you know, if Mary walked by you in the same mall, she might not give you a second look either. Nothing about her would make any of us take up, and no take up notice, but God took notice. God was telling a story, the story of the ages. He was building a supporting cast, and he needed a supporting cast that was noteworthy in their unnoteworthiness. They were special in their unspecialness. Last week, Chuck, about, Chuck talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth. This week, it's Mary, and next week, next week, it's Joseph. Each of these people were similar in their ability not to impress you. Which brings us to our big idea. God is not looking for the impressive, but he's calling a family to love. So, it was Thanksgiving night. The house was finally empty and quiet. And I hear a ping on my phone. It's my daughter-in-law. What now? I'm no, just kidding. My granddaughter was crying on the drive home. Why was she crying? She misses Hoppa and Grammy. 
She didn't miss me because I can get her flights on Air Force One. She didn't miss me because I can get her tickets to a Taylor Swift concert. No one can. And she didn't miss me because I'm a great speaker, as you are well aware. She missed me not because I'm impressive in any way. She missed me because she loves me. God sent Gabriel to Mary God's, with God's very personal message. You're blessed because of I have extended my grace to you. My grace is a product of my love for you. Think about that. My grace is a product of my love for you. Mary's motherhood put into motion the story of redemption that up to now had only been a promise. That promise was now being fulfilled. For us, Mary is just another reminder of God's wonderful gift of salvation. It's not about earning, far from it. It's the antithesis of striving. It's about a free gift from God himself. Gabriel didn't say, congratulations, Mary, you've earned God's favor. Gabriel said, greetings, you are favored by God. Gabriel did not, he said, do not be afraid. God has bestowed upon you his grace. That's the answer to why Mary. And that's the answer to why Christmas. We don't have to be afraid. God sent his son as a free gift. And if we accept that free gift, God's reconciled us to himself. So what are our applications? What can we see as takeaways from solving this mystery? What have we learned? What can we learn from Mary, who was nothing special? But becoming a recipient of God's favor, she gained eternal significance. What can we learn from Mary's life? Well, application number one, Mary's name was written in the Bible. Where is your name written? While it's impressive that Mary's name was written in the Bible, that's not the most crucial, that's not the most critical, important thing about Mary. Mary's name was written in the Bible, but so was the innkeeper who didn't have room for her. So was the serpent, and I don't want to be him. Mary's name was written in the Bible, but so was Judas, Judas Iscariot's. So if it's not the Bible, where do we want our stories captured? Further down in the book of Luke, Jesus gives us the answer. Chapter 10, starting at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. And he said to them, I saw, faint, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. But that's not the end of the teaching that Jesus gives. Jesus sent them out to begin their training to help them realize the majesty and the power and the authority of his name. The most important thing wasn't mentioned in that passage. That wasn't the big lesson. The most important thing is that we rejoice that our names are written in heaven. I only read to verse 19. Give me verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We're to rejoice that our names are written in heaven. It's that important. Revelations chapter 3 says it a different way. It calls it the book of life. Did Mary understand this? Absolutely. In the, in the next story after the passage that I read, Mary gives a speech that we've come to call the Magnificat. 
Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, now all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This extemporaneous speech from Mary goes on, but here are the, most two, uh, the, the two most important aspects of this beautiful song of worship. Number one, God is Mary's Savior. And number two, God has done the work. How do we find favor and grace with God? How do we make Jesus our Savior? How do we get our names written in the book of heaven? Well, God has made salvation a very simple thing. It's not cheap. It's a cost far beyond our ability to even count. But it's simple and can be boiled down to two things, repentance and faith. The word repent is translated from a compound Greek word, metanoia. Meta means to change. It's where we get our word metabolic, like, the, uh, like our metabolism turns food into energy or fat. <clears throat> you have heard about meta metamorphic rocks and under great pressure change from limestone to marble. The second part of the, of the compound word is noia. It means mind or intellect or understanding. So if someone annoys you, that a before that means not or without. So if someone annoys you, it means they're not thinking about you, they're not taking into account your feelings or your thoughts. So if we put these two together, we come to a better understanding of what repentance is in the Bible. It's a change of our mind. It's a change of our understanding. We're moving in one direction. We make an, a dramatic and abrupt change and move in the other. And the word faith, the second part, it's not new to any of us. If you're able, let me demonstrate. If you're able, stand up real quickly and you can sit back down. Anyone? <laughs> yeah? Sit back down. Great. Okay. So did anybody go back and check the seat part of their cushion to see if it would hold them? couple of crazies. Yep. Did anybody look and see if, the, if someone had unbolted their row and moved it? No? No, we didn't do that. Why didn't we do that? Because we assume that the, that the, uh, the chair was going to hold us, right? We're, we're, we're thinking that chair is going to be just fine. It's going to be there. We have faith in the chair, and we combine that faith with a belief by sitting back down. We believe that the chair is there, and it's going to be able to, to, to support our weight. It's just transferring. So faith in God is just transferring our faith from all those other things that we've been thinking about, our, our, our portfolio, our understanding, our... All those things, we're not having faith in those anymore. We're having faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Like the chair, we have faith that Jesus is there and that he can support us, removing our sin and our shame. And as Gabriel said, nothing is impossible with God. Where does the faith and desire to repent come from? That's the work of God in our hearts. God has done this, like Mary said. Gabriel said, God has bestowed his grace upon you, unearned favor upon you. It's not having a book written about you or even having your name written in the Bible, but it's having your name written in the book of life. Application two, be joyously available. Let me say it another way. Don't grip your plans so tightly 
that you can't open them up to receive what God has planned. This so defines Mary. There's something, there's something at the end of the passage that so defines Mary and her calling and her mission. Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary was saying, I belong to, I submit, I follow you, Lord. If we had opened Mary's planner on that day, what might we have found? Wed my true love, Joseph? Have children? Live happily ever after? I don't know. But I can promise you there were certain things we wouldn't have found on her bucket list. Become an unwed mother. Be chased to Egypt by Herod's soldiers so they wouldn't slaughter my son. Watch my son in person fulfill the prophecies of Psalm 22. Do you think Mary was tracking with all this? Do you think she understood the ramifications of what Gabriel was really saying? There's no doubt. Mary had no preconceptions of what the difficult life that she was going to face. Mary's erudite question, how will this be since I'm a virgin, tells us all we need to know. Mary was sharp. She knew what this meant, what unwed motherhood and the stain that that would entail. She knew the cloud that she would live under all of her life. But she said to God, let's do this. Point of application, this Christmas season, things may not go quite as planned. Are you willing to trust God and his love for you, even if it looks like a rough road ahead? Application point number three. Let me, good time to call the band up. Application number three, be a worshiper. The last thing we can learn from Mary is that she was a worshiper. In the wake of the challenging news that she was to carry and be the mother of the Messiah, she worshipped. When her cousin Elizabeth's baby jumped, leapt in her womb, she worshipped. Why do we worship? Well, we worship because God is worthy of our worship. We worship because it softens our heart towards God. We worship because it's a spiritual discipline that we can practice together as a church family. Why do we worship? Because worship is warfare against the non-biblical thoughts that we have in our head. Why do we worship? Because worship is a recounting of God and his greatness. Mary would fortify her soul with worship. Mary would fortify her soul with worship. She would recount God's goodness to her and to her people. She would remember God's mighty deeds, his strong arm, his faithfulness to his people, his care for the hungry, his holiness, and his mercy. Final application, be a worshiper. In verse 46 and 47, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And that's what we're going to do now. So I ask this question one final time. Why Mary? She's not impressive or noteworthy. Mary is simply a wonderful recipient of God's grace. And Mary's story can be our story too. Why Mary? Because Mary's story reminds us that God is not looking for the impressive, but he's looking for and he's calling a family to love.